Welcome to This Week in Local, a Locology podcast featuring lively conversations about the local digital ecosystem, hosted by Locology analysts Mike Bolin and Charles Lachlan. Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Week in Local, Locology's weekly podcast about all things local. I'm Charles Lachlan, your co-host. Uh, joined today, not by Mike Boland as usual, but I'm joined by Emily Washkovic, who is Yelp's small business expert. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Charles. Really excited to be here. Great. Well, we're excited to have you. You know, you don't get Yelp's small business expert every week, so we're going to make good use of this. So, Emily, let's start out with something very simple. How does one become a small business expert? Yeah, I started working for Yelp a little over eight years ago now, and really throughout my entire time at the company, my goal has been to educate business owners, particularly on the free tools available to make the most of their presence on our site. And in that time, out in the field, meeting business owners, speaking at conferences, conventions, trade shows, I've expanded my knowledge beyond just Yelp to online reputation management, as well as digital marketing for small businesses. And so when the pandemic hit and we were no longer in person, out in the world, meeting and networking with business owners, we transitioned to be really content heavy. And in November of 2020, we launched our podcast in partnership with Entrepreneur Magazine. So through that journey, I've been able to interview hundreds of small business owners, as well as people who wrote them Yelp reviews, which is really fun. We get both sides of that coin. And it's helped me to really develop an even bigger Rolodex of business stories to hopefully help other small businesses with their online reputation and connecting that in-person presence to their online presence as well. Okay. So Yelp and small business are very synonymous terms. Um, but the history of that has that's had, you know, it's had some ups and downs. What do you how would you describe the relationship between Yelp and small businesses today? And please keep thinking context of kind of the, you know, the news stories over the years and 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 kind of the reputation Yelp has fairly or unfairly developed over the years with small businesses. How has that evolved and how have you kind of reconciled all of those past issues to have a good relationship with SMBs today? Yeah, you know, I think there's always been a percentage of small business owners that took to Yelp, utilized it and leveraged it. But there's been a lot of fear around the platform as well. And that's not just Yelp, that's online reviews in general. Right. I think it's very tough when you start a business to get criticism in any format and online to many business owners was strange and felt impersonal. And so many years ago, that reputation began where sometimes people would claim that Yelp is the one who's maybe making it hard on their business rather than choosing to engage with that content, maybe connect with the customer or dig deeper. And so there's definitely been a lot of misconceptions around Yelp. I think business owners also sometimes think it's a pay to play site. Like I'm going to need to pay money if I want to change my hours or respond to a customer. And that's just not true. But those misconceptions cause that fear ultimately. If I can just interrupt there. Yeah, please. When you say misconceptions, you could you be very specific about what you think those are? Absolutely. So I think a lot of business owners think that if you pay Yelp, you can get negative reviews removed from your page or you can get more positive reviews added to your page. There's actually no amount of money that any business owner can spend to control their reviews. They're completely separate. And that misconception is what started to make business owners think, 
Well, if I'm not going to pay, then I can't engage and can't do anything. And that's where that division just becomes bigger, right? They feel like their hands are tied and like everything on Yelp is happening to them instead of them being a part of the conversation or the dialogue. Okay. So I have a saying, actually, I don't have a saying, but I have a thought that pops into my head every time someone says misconception. I think misconceptions are things that had a kernel of truth, perhaps at one point, but then evolved in a direction maybe that distorted that original. So when you say misconception, is there, was there ever a kernel of truth to any of those things? So I think the reason that misconception was a misconception is because of our review recommendation software. Mm -hmm. So from the very early days, Yelp has prioritized trust. And that means content moderation. Some of that through our software, which is constantly running, changing, and being evolved, but also our entire human team of content moderators. And so when you have a review recommendation software like ours, there's times where business owners see that they got a review and then it's in that not recommended section and they start to feel like this is the game where they can pay to change that. But really that review recommendation software is the same across the board and applies to every business. And so your question about did it start from a kernel of truth? I think it started from a place where we weren't always educating business owners on why we had content moderation, or we weren't maybe giving all the details of what the algorithm and software were looking at. And that's where people start to make up their own storylines, right? About yes. what's really going on there. I think we could do a whole podcast about the, the misconceptions. I, I know we could, but we're not going to do that today. Uh, so I'm going to move on to a, a slight pivot off of that uh, point. And there's, there's, yeah, everything in the news is about uh, new technology, no, notably AI and how it's being applied everywhere, you know, writing novels. And yeah, I imagine next year's Oscars will all be chat GPT written <laughs> scripts, right? Um, so having said that, uh, there's been some stuff in the news about chat GPT being used for review responding, responding to reviews. Talk about how you think about this technology being applied to the review business. Where, you know, where is it going to be powerful? Where is it, where are we going to go slow? Just kind of talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I mean, I think the most successful businesses have a strategy for responding to reviews, mm -hmm. and that often probably includes a few templates, right? A starting point if we're replying to a happy customer, a jumping off point if we're dealing with criticism. And I think AI and ChatGBT can help people get that template, if you will, or maybe get the ideas flowing for how to start this message. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so important to really reiterate every time we talk about AI, how it will still require that human touch. And <clears throat> when you're responding online as a business, you're trying to show your customer service practices. And so you don't want to sound too robotic, but I can entirely see how if I'm running a six, seven location restaurant and I'm putting together a playbook for my general managers on how to reply, I could totally see myself using right. AI or ChatGPT to start that response. Well, because everyone's always being advised, automate as much of your business as you can, right? Because that's Absolutely. how you, you know, that's how you grow. That's how you uh, get big fast, right? It's one of one of the keys, right? That you hear a lot. Absolutely. So, so how do you kind of split that hair between automate, but don't automate too much or don't go nuts with the automation? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I think is 
actually digesting what's happening in the review is crucial to your bottom line. And that's what we don't want to miss, right? Mm -hmm. We want to respond quickly. We want to do it so that it's, you know, done and off the list. But we also want to be ingesting the information from the review, whether it's telling us what we're doing well as a business or maybe highlighting an area we could work on. And so I think that delicate balance between having the copy and paste template that you know you're going to apply over, but still taking that second to hear what the customer has to say and potentially leverage that to better your business. Isn't that where AI is going to be most powerful? Yes, in, 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 I think so. Ingesting that content and kind of merging it with other data from other businesses and kind of creating a set of best practices, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's already yes. been going on, right? So um, it, less so in the interface and more so in sort of the background of the data and how it's interpreted and et cetera. Okay. All right. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, cha change of direction. So kind of backing up on that whole best practice notion, what is the state AI independent? What is the state of, uh, the art in terms of best practice for small business behavior around reviews. What what are the you know short list of things every small business should be doing and maybe isn't doing around reviews? Absolutely. So I think one of the biggest missed opportunities is leveraging and responding to the positive. You know, everyone thinks of the online reviews as the negative, but on Yelp, we have more five-star reviews than one, two, and three stars combined. Right. So business owners who aren't taking a few seconds to reply to those happy customers reiterate something that they mentioned in their positive review and welcome them back. I mean, that's just a way to deepen relationships with people who have already spent money with you. So that's our first missed opportunity and thing that people should work on. But the second is thinking of your responses to critical reviews as a strategic move. And I think a lot of business owners get a critical review and they think, I got to get this off my page. And that's really not the approach you want to take. We did a study at the end of last year that found 83% of consumers are willing to look past a negative review if a business owner responds and addresses the concern. I've been saying that for years, right. but that data is just like, boom, you know, it, it puts the consumer in question when I see that the business owner is reaching out to make it better. And on that same point, I'm probably more inclined to come directly to the business owner if I have a concern and I saw they respond right. to their online politely reviews. and and acknowledging the problem, addressing the problem. I, I can just tell you, I, I don't do sample of one comments that often. I try to avoid them. But in my case, if I see a negative review that has not been acknowledged in some yeah. way, you know, I, that's a bigger red flag than the fact that somebody gave it a one star review. And I, I tend to agree, agree with you that people default to higher stars just as a, you know, where I'm just want to be nice kind of a thing. Um, I don't know how much of that has to do with more five-star reviews than three-star reviews. But um, the other thing that I wonder about is, are, is the data telling you anything about trends in terms of willingness to write, you know, long reviews versus just a star and a quick comment or just a star and nothing else. Star only yeah. reviews is a, is a topic of conversation, how to handle them, how to create tools so that people can do like, you know, click a term and add it to that and all that. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So the first thing is that study I was just referencing had a stat in it about how consumers trust reviews with text more than just star rating, which I right. mean, that makes we sense. We all kind of right? do that, right? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And on Yelp, 
I mean, you have to write text, right? I mean, the review probably won't even stay on the page if you're just writing two right. or three words and you can't write nothing. So for us and the culture and the habit of our most engaged users, they definitely are into sharing all of the facets of their experience, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think that there's sometimes a lot of value in people becoming reviewers who aren't going to write a novel every time. I've seen some really effective reviews recently on Yelp where it's only maybe three or five sentences, right. but they're hitting on all the main points that I want to know about and they're backing it up with a photo. I think that's something that's so interesting is review sites nowadays, people go to read the reviews. Absolutely. Yeah. But they're also going to look at photos, to check hours, to confirm services. And so it's about that holistic view. And that's why it's not really something to be bothered by if a consumer is just leaving a shorter review. But I think people on our platform are more inclined to do that long form. When I go on sites like Amazon, for example, you know, I'm kind of taking that review value with a grain of salt, knowing that some are just like, a clicked star, you know? Yeah. And honestly, the same with podcasting. Like, I'm not going to lie. I check my show reviews every once in a while. Yeah, as do I, you know, it's just kind of what happens. Yeah. But I hate that there's like six times as many as written, you know, mm -hmm. like I wish but that's that always the case. Written. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course. But I think that's a habitual thing for mm -hmm. us. We can get what we need out of short reviews, but if we're going to get review information, we're willing to read about, five of them and relatively yeah. lengthy. But this does bring to mind, I think it's Mark Twain, that may be apocryphal, the, the statement, excuse the long letter, I didn't have time to write a short one. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hi everyone, it's Mike Bolin, Senior Analyst at Locology, here to tell you about L23. It's our annual flagship event held this year in sunny San Diego, Coronado Bay to be exact, and it's all about charting the course of local commerce and tackling all of the factors and topics that continue to impact the business of local media, advertising, and commerce. So we've got a solid speaker lineup already, and we'd love to see you in Coronado Bay April 17th through 19th, and you can find out more at Locology.com. Now back to our episode. Anyway, okay, let's uh, quick shift of gears here. Um, I kind of wanted to ask about the pandemic pre, you know, po post, because what happened, you know, the pandemic, we all know what that was all about, but Yelp was very proactive. You, you did a lot of product updates and a lot of things to adapt, you know, to the sort of the, the, the ethos of, of COVID at home, shutdown businesses, all that stuff. So you must have a lot of ob both data and observation and, and opinions and thoughts about, you know, what was you were expecting coming out of COVID in terms of how many businesses would be open versus not open, how many businesses would be touchless versus, you know, what, all the stuff, all the payment stuff, all the contactless stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can you talk for a minute or two about the difference between what you thought you would see coming out of COVID and what you've actually seen coming out of COVID? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing was clear communication became paramount when the pandemic hit, mm -hmm. right? Businesses had to figure out how to quickly communicate what they were doing, and it was so different from what they had previously done. So that was what the beginning of the pandemic was all about, right? And I saw a future where different businesses were going to be offering these different styles of consumerism forever. I'll give you one quick example. There's this shop here called Mod Gen. It's like a 
plant, gift shop. It's got a lot of different things. Are you and referring to San Francisco? I'm sorry. No, no, sorry. This is here in Milwaukee. Small, oh, you're in Milwaukee. Okay, sorry. Milwaukee. We, we didn't establish that Francisco. on air. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a small plant shop. And I remember the pandemic hit. I was still looking for plants. I just moved into a new place. Mm -hmm. And I called them because it said they were open, but I didn't really know what that meant. And we did like an entire Zoom appointment where they showed me plants. They potted it for me. And then when I drove downtown, I just texted that I was there. Someone came and put the plants in my trunk and I was off. And I thought, wow, maybe this kind of stuff will stay. Like right. maybe some businesses are going to do this forever. But really what we've seen is a return back to those old consumer touch points that we all enjoy. Right. And I think there's still convenience. Like I love staying in my car at the vet, even though I have a choice now. I can go in or they can just come get them. But many of us as consumers and businesses have returned back to wanting that interface, mm -hmm. wanting that connection. And something that I loved throughout the whole pandemic was we never saw searches on Yelp plummet. We only saw them change. So people were still wanting to spend money with businesses. They were just looking for different ways to do that transaction, whether that was health safeties that they cared about, efficiencies or other things. I thought that we might go into a future where different types of offerings were all in abundance for different industries. And I think we've seen that us as consumers and businesses, we want that connection, whether that is digitally, but still getting right. a sense of who the business is. And I think the other big thing is storytelling and letting your customer behind the scenes of your business became a big thing in the early days of the pandemic. And that has continued. And that I am so thrilled about because so many SMBs have these incredible origin stories. They do what they do for their community because they love them. And none of them talk about themselves as much as they should. And I think the pandemic really made them be more human in their business and brand. And mm -hmm. I'm glad that that doesn't seem to be going away. It's kind of funny. We, uh, Mike, my co-host, and I had this debate on one episode where I'm the guy who likes to go to the grocery store. And he's the guy who likes to drive up to the grocery store and have them put it into his trunk. And the, and I think the world has is divided into two kinds of people. I agree. And and I but I think the uh, us who like to go and touch the fruit in the produce uh, section and like to push the cart around the aisles. I think we've prevailed. I mean, I, I just that's my sense of it. And now that may be a controversial statement for some, but I do feel it feels like that's how the world has kind of landed post-COVID that, you know, yeah, there's the people who still like the delivery and the, you know, just staying at home all the time, never talking to anybody, never, never interacting with actual people. You know, there's, there's merit to that and there's that community and, uh, and there is more tools available for them than there ever have been, but stores are full again, restaurants are full again. I think movie theaters might be the exception to this one, but. Uh, well, yeah. that is true, but also, you know, what you just mentioned that made me think is, We've also seen so many new businesses boom out of being able to do it from their home. Right. And you and I were talking about that before. Right. These more remote or virtual businesses, that's been an incredible boom that we've seen as well. Boom and bust. I would argue boom and bust, uh, you know, because fair, of things fair. like ghost I kitchens like and, go, and ghost stores, they're still there. Uh, but there's been a big, you know, cycle uh, of 
particularly, I don't know if you, if you follow this closely, you follow it in Europe. There's been this huge boom and bust cycle, massive funding of these ghost dark stores where you know, with micro warehouses and all, all about having somebody ride their bicycle to your house and give you stuff, you know, that you paid for online. Great. Sounds great. They've generally failed. And totally ghost kitchens. I don't think, you know, I'm not saying they'll ever go away. I think, you know, virtual restaurants is probably always going to be a thing, but I don't think that's anything like people thought it would be, you know, at this point. No, I totally agree. So how and, does Yelp handle you know, these sort of non-physical location businesses? Because, you know, that's despite what I just said about the boom and bust cycle, there always have been, always will be businesses that aren't tied to a physical location. So how does, and Yelp is, you know, fairly or unfairly, probably you would say unfairly thought of as the, you know, the platform for businesses with a physical location where you go there, you research it, then you go there, restaurants, whatever. But how does Yelp yeah, think about so these sort of the other type of business? Yeah, Yelp has always been a platform where you do not need a physical location. But the best way to describe if Yelp is a fit for you or not is the difference between this. If you have services or goods that you give locally, Yelp is for you, baking pies in your house and dropping them at people's businesses, being a plumber who works out of his truck. Right. That's the Yelp classic example, you. right? Yeah. Classic example. Yeah. Now, if I make jewelry in my house and I ship it all across North America, Yelp is not for me because everyone who searches on Yelp searches with a location indicated. And so that's a good way to think about the difference between e-commerce and not on Yelp. And I don't have a brick and mortar, but I can be on Yelp. And I think that little subset of people who are maybe operating without a brick and mortar, but not necessarily the ghost kitchen uh, example, they're the ones who have kind of had this opportunity to capitalize when people weren't going to a brick and mortar, maybe get a product into the world and really be able to start that business by serving locally, pop-ups, et cetera. And so Yelp will continue to be a place where business owners can list themselves and be found even if they don't have a brick and mortar or physical location. They just have to be servicing that local well, area. Okay, that makes complete sense. sense. Uh I want to ask one final question and it's something I just came across because I don't, you know, find things often before other people do Yelp stalking. What is Yelp stalking? First of all, let me just say, I think a lot of people do this on Yelp. Like okay. I know, for example, I have a ton of colleagues at Yelp who are community managers. These people know all the best spots in their town. Right. And so I follow them on Yelp. And when I go to their town or even when I go to just a big city that I know they've been to, I'll go check the places that they love. Oh, yeah, you want to party so with I the community manager common. for sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and who doesn't want to know where all these little micro influencers oh, yeah. loved eating? Okay. That was, I think, what the term referred to. Apparently, it's not in wide circulation. <laughs> I, I happened to see a headline, and so I thought I'd ask you about it. And clearly, it's I'm not. I'm sorry like I didn't deliver on that. Because you didn't. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, okay. But that's, I think that's what it meant. And it kind of made a certain amount of sense to me. Maybe not. Yeah, the I actually just I but, got the but the, the 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 meaning underneath it made a certain amount of sense. Okay. I think I see the article that you were referencing, and we got it on the last response there. We were spot on. Okay, okay, I'm glad we caught up to that. Okay. <laughs>
All right. Uh, and this has been a lot of fun. I think we're about out of time. Emily, thank you for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun again. And to everyone out there, thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Locology's This Week in Local with Mike Boland and Charles Lachlan. Be sure to subscribe for more. 